damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little while in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art, art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Last week when we were in our study up to this point in the text, I provided you somewhat of an overview of the, of the second chapter in which we've considered how the love between Boaz and Ruth developed within this narrative. We saw how, how Ruth's love for Boaz grew as Boaz worked behind the scenes by showing grace to Ruth. In chapter 2, verses uh, 2 through 13, we see that Ruth began by working in the field of Boaz just hoping to find grace. And this is emphasized in two verses, specifically verse 2 and verse 10. Let me now go to the field, she said, and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. This is something in which Ruth is saying, I want to go out in the field and work at, that I, as I would find grace to do so by those in, who, by, in the field of, of the one in whom I shall find grace. If there's one out there who will show me grace for me to go work and to glean from that field. Chapter 2.10 says, Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, to Boaz, why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Then in chapter 2, 14 through 23, Ruth provided a, was a seat at the table of Boaz. Chapter 2, 14 says, And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. Then chapter 2, 23, So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz, to glean into the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. So here we find that she was able to find a place at the table of Boaz, not only work in the field of Boaz, but as well to be a part at his table. Chapter 3, 1 through four thirteen, we see where Ruth married Boaz, verse 13 of chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. Then chapter four twenty one and 22. And Solomon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. So here we see that there was a progression here. Obviously, she begins working in the field. She's given a seat at his table and provided food and invited to stay there, instructed and invited to stay there with his maidens. And then also, in the end, they're married. And then there is fruit that is born from their relationship. They, are, they have, of course, uh, Obed. And then Obed has Jesse, and Jesse has David, of course, David the king. And last week we looked at how the provi- there, God makes provision for spiritual growth, and we see this demonstrated through the relationship of Boaz and Ruth. Ruth realized that Boaz could relate to her, and this is one of the provisions that is made for this growth to be present. In verse 1 we're told, and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. Boaz would never be a part of Moab, I told you. However, he was willing to make Ruth, who was a Moabitess, a part of his family. Second, Boaz was a man of resource. Verse 1 goes on to say he was a mighty man of wealth. Ruth's husband had died, and she had no one to provide for her, no one to protect her, yet Boaz was a man of means. He was a mighty man of wealth. And that does not only speak of his monetary value, but as well, he was a mighty man speaking of his character, speaking of of who he was. Ruth was a woman in that she was 
she was a woman who was poor and had nothing, yet she had a relative who was rich and had plenty. And Boaz was a man of means with plenty, yet he had relatives who were poor and had nothing. But notice with me, this is, they, were not, they were only relatives by marriage in this case. Of course, this was not a blood relative of hers, and, and eventually that would result in a relationship of them coming together in life, uh, in marriage together in life, and, and bearing children. Now, it's important for us to as well remember that we know, of course, that we can have a relationship with God the Father because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been dealing with this as well in Colossians on Sunday mornings and how that he is the very image of the invisible God. And so God has made a, a provision for us to have a relationship with one in which we have, to which we have no relationship apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet it's through Christ that there is, we know he can relate to us. We know that we can now have a relationship with God the Father because he is related to us through his Son. And so we see that same situation here throughout this account and narrative of Ruth. Two things that stand out about Ruth in her pursuit to get to know Boaz that I've mentioned was that first she desired to serve in the field of Boaz. She said, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn. Ruth desired to find a place in which she could serve. She knew she did not deserve such a place, but was hopeful that someone would show her grace. And that brings us to the second thought here, that she was dependent on the grace of Boaz. She says, after him in whose sight I shall find grace. So Ruth knew that her success in her labor was dependent upon the grace of another. No matter how much Ruth would have searched for a field in which she could serve, no matter how many fields may have been out there, if she was not granted grace by the master of the field, then all of her seeking and all of her searching would have resulted in nothing of any benefit. It, she was totally dependent upon the grace of Boaz in this case. So we see that there was a provision for spiritual growth. We also see out of all the parts of the field that were available for Ruth to glean, she found herself in the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. It says, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. And again, I said to you, and I won't belabor the point, but quote, unquote, I use this very loosely because I don't believe these actually exist. But Ruth's quote, unquote, accident was truthfully God's providence. There was no accident here, but her hap, it just so happened. It was so-called coincidence that Ruth finds herself in Boaz's field. But that's not a coincidence at all. It is the providential working of God that was taking place back there when Elimelech left Bethlehem Judah and went into Moab, and then the, uh, the sons marry these Moabitish women, and then Ruth is committed to come back with Naomi to Bethlehem or to Judah. And all of this is God's working, His providential working, bringing Ruth back with Naomi for this very purpose. Genuine love will demonstrate grace, as we've seen, and will do so without expecting anything in return. Grace, by definition, is the unmerited favor or goodness that is undeserved. Now, some may venture to say that God's grace demands that one who receives such grace commit their lives to him. And therefore, God's love and grace is not without expectation. But we must remember two things concerning the lives of those who have been transformed by God's love and grace. First, God sacrificed everything in offering His Son as a substitutionary atonement on our behalf. 
God sacrificed everything knowing, remember this, he didn't just sacrifice everything, but he sacrificed everything knowing that we could not give anything back to him worthy of that which he sacrificed. So while some would say, oh, well, but grace, if it's unmerited, undeserved, and it does, and God's grace and love is not, uh, does not expect something, how can you say that whenever God demands that we, as believers in Christ, follow after him, that we remember there is nothing that we could ever do to earn or to measure up to the value of the sacrifice that was made for us. Second, God added nothing to his person, nothing to his character, nothing to his value, nothing to his glory by showing us grace. We are the ones who truly benefit from lives devoted to God, not the other way around. We had nothing to lose and everything to gain by this redemptive work of God. We must remember that all that God's grace demands of those who have received such grace is not something which is required as a payment for the grace which has been received, but rather it is the continued working of God's grace in our lives which is all done for God's glory and for our good. For our benefit. In other words, that which God demands from the recipients of His grace is not what God is requiring of us, but it is that which God is doing for us. So when we think of the grace of God and say, oh, there's expectation to God's grace, no, there isn't. Not in the sense like, okay, I'm going to give you this, therefore you're going to give me this because I gave you this. No, it's that we understand if, you under, if you've received grace and you have any spiritual discernment understanding you recognize that there is no possible way that I could ever give back anything that could measure to the value of what has been given to me and what has been sacrificed for me. And therefore, I live a life submitted unto God, not perfectly, obviously, but I desire to live a life submitted unto God because of my understanding of the lack of, of my ability to ever give back to any measure, anything that can possibly compare to what has been done for me. We see this in the account here whenever Ruth says, verse 10 of chapter 2, then she fell on her face after she said, I'm going to go out and work in a field if I can find grace by one who will allow me to work. She fell on her face, bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And so all that I just spoke of, we see and understand that these truths are demonstrated within this narrative of Ruth regarding the interactions of Boaz with Ruth and Ruth with Boaz. Let's look at this love that's been demonstrated, because that's what this is ha- was happening now. There's a love being demonstrated by Boaz to Ruth. Boaz first, we see, showed interest in Ruth. Look at verses 4 through 7. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. 
Boaz took interest in Ruth. When he comes to his field, there are reapers, plural. There is a, a servant over the reapers, and then there are those who are gathering behind the reapers. The reapers are the ones who are coming and, and gaining the majority of the harvest. And then there are those such as Ruth who understand that they don't deserve this opportunity but yet are provided the opportunity to pick up the fragments, to pick up the bits and pieces that are left for their own survival. This isn't, this isn't necessarily so they can profit and go make money. No, this is just to live. This is because they have to have food and this is a means by which they are able to gain food or gain what is needed of necessities of life. But we see Boaz with the servants are there, the reapers that are there, and the others that are present. Notice what he does. He has his eyes set on this one woman, Ruth. He notices her. And it's not because she is flamboyant. It's not because she is something special. But his attention is drawn or set on her. Verse 5 explains this when it says, Then said Boaz unto his servant, and that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? So Ruth had caught the eye of Boaz. However, there is a fundamental truth concerning Boaz and his character, which is demonstrated in the previous verse, that is verse 4, before he ever makes inquiry of, of Ruth. Look back at verse 4 for a moment. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless thee. Now you have to understand what is actually being stated here to appreciate what is happening. Boaz is the owner of the field. This is the CEO of the company. This is the bigwig. This is the boss man. Okay? He comes to his field and there is a servant who is over the reapers. This is his manager. And he's watching over the workers. But who does Boaz, he does speak to the servant and say, who is this damsel? But notice what Boaz does. He comes in and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. You must recognize this truth. While Boaz did focus his attention on Ruth, Boaz was a man of grace. It was in his character to act graciously. In other words, the grace that Boaz showed Ruth, this is so important for you to, to understand in this text, the, the grace that Boaz showed Ruth was not based on who Ruth was, although Boaz did take an interest in her. The grace that Ruth received was only received because Boaz was a man of grace. He says to the workers... He's above them. They are way under his pay grade. And what does he say to them? He comes and says, the Lord be with you. He's greeting them in a gracious manner and blessing them, if you will. So we see this demonstrated in the way Boaz greets the reapers who worked in his field. Boaz, being the owner of the field, treated those who worked in his field with grace. He didn't have to, but he did. Genuine love will demonstrate an interest in the one to whom love is directed. Where there is love, not only will there be interest present, but also a demonstration of that interest as Boaz exhibited with Ruth. But again, I think we must recognize in this passage that we know that 
Ruth caught Boaz's eye. We know that Boaz shows great favor and kindness and love undeserved towards Ruth. But it had nothing to do with who Ruth is. It has everything to do with who Boaz is. Because he's a man who possesses grace and acts graciously. I believe this is a good reminder for us. <laughs> that as we consider as believers and followers of Christ, as we consider the opportunity God's given us to serve him, as we to, to submit to him and worship unto him, to praise him, may we never forget this truth. Yes, God did set his love and his affection, his favor on us, his grace to us who are redeemed. But let us never forget, it was not, we did not receive the grace, the mercy, the love, the favor, the kindness, the goodness of God because of who we are. But it's because of who he is. She didn't deserve this. But Boaz had grace to give. Second, we see Boaz provided instruction for Ruth. Verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Because of the interest that Boaz had for Ruth, he then instructs her to not go to any other field, but to remain in his field. Boaz offered Ruth a place with the other young unmarried women who worked in his field, his maidens. Our modern day society has perverted the view of love. And today it is commonly stated that the evidence of love is acceptance or tolerance. But if that were true, then correction and instruction are both contradictions of love and have no place in a loving relationship. But that is not so. That is not the truth. Love is not demonstrated by tolerance and acceptance. Notice, even with Ruth, Boaz comes, he's the owner. He's the boss man. He's the wealthy man. He's the man of power. And he comes and he asks and inquires about this woman named Ruth. And he has a desire to know Ruth, to get to know who she is. And he sets his attention to her and shows her grace, gives her a place at his table. But notice, it's not just simply accepting Ruth as she is, let her go where she will, do what she wants. He then instructs her, do not go anywhere else, stay right here. Hear me, love is not tolerance and love is not acceptance. The demonstration of love will include instruction. Tolerance by definition is the ability or willingness to tolerate something in particular, the existence of opinions or behavior that, does not, that one does not necessarily agree with. So tolerance is allowing something to be said, allowing something to be done without question or consequence. Even though that which is said or done is something considered to be wrong or incorrect by one's own understanding. Correction would be to speak out against something once it has been stated or done or after the fact. Instruction is to speak out prior to something having been stated or done. Or to speak out after the fact to prevent the continuation of such said behavior. Boaz provided instruction for Ruth to not leave his field. Had she left the field and he went to find her and correct, that would be correction. Saying, come back here. You shouldn't have left. Come back. No. He's instructing her so that she not leave. Listen, following after Christ, being redeemed, working in the field of our Lord, 
it, it, there is instruction provided, and there's correction also that is given as well as we're aware. But let us be mindful that the love of God being demonstrated to us is not absent of instruction, but is full of instruction. But let me ask you a question here in the case of Boaz and Ruth. You say, well, Boaz was just being selfish, and he didn't want any other guy to have an opportunity to get to know who Ruth was. Listen. Boaz knew it was in Ruth's best interest for her to stay right where she was. He is protecting her and providing for her. It is in his best, her best interest. Here's the reality of it. Now, we know in God's providential working, as God saw fit for this to be, this was going to be the case. It was determined that Boaz would marry Ruth and that Obed would be born, Jesse would be born, and David would be born, and eventually through this lineage, Christ would be born. This was the purpose of God. So nothing would be able to thwart this plan of God. But let me ask you something. From Boaz's perspective, had Boaz never met Ruth, had Boaz never showed favor to Ruth, had Boaz never had any relationship with Ruth, you know what Boaz would have still been? A mighty, wealthy man. But if Ruth would have never met Boaz, he would have remained a pauper and destitute. And always known as that woman that came back with Naomi or or Mara from Moab. Rather than the grandmother, a great-grandmother of David, the king of Israel. Then third, Boaz, which was spoken already, provided protection for Ruth. Look at verse 9. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go, out, go, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Boaz not only took interest in Ruth and provided her with instruction concerning his provision for her and well-being, but he also provided protection for her. Boaz had instructed the men who worked for him to not touch Ruth, leave her alone. He was setting a boundary of protection around her out of his grace and affection for Ruth. The truth of the matter simply is that we deeply desire to protect as much as possible those who we love. The same is true for all those who abide in God's love as provided in Jesus Christ. This does not mean that we do not suffer. It does not mean that we get what we want. It doesn't mean that God tolerates our sin and sweeps it under a rug. It does not mean that we will not face the reality of a physical death because of the curse of sin. However, it does mean that we are protected from God's wrath and that the ultimate consequence of sin has been eradicated. We know in 1 Corinthians 15, the scripture speaks to this. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? We understand that there's still death for us, physically speaking, but the pain and sting of death is gone. Not physically, but spiritually. The ultimate consequence of sin is eradicated because that which brings death cannot remove eternal life. From those who've received it. There is nothing that the believer will face that is not providentially ordered by the Lord and being used for his glory and for our good. 
I've said too many times, love is not an emotion, but it is a commitment. And with that commitment, there will be actions demonstrated, and also emotional bonds will be formed in a physical relationship, obviously. God's love is manifested in our lives by His commitment to faithfully provide His instruction, His protection, and God's love is not tolerant, but is faithfully working His purpose and His will in and through our lives. While we have such a limited view of what God is doing, He has an eternal view in which all things are already mapped out in time. We receive His love and His grace, not because of who we are, but because of His character, because of His love and His grace, because of who He is. And as it has been demonstrated to all those in whom He has manifested His eternal interest in time. Remember, we love Him, why? Not because He first demonstrated love for us, but because He first loved us. That's an eternal love. And the only reason that I love Him is because He eternally loved me, or I would never love Him. But that love has been demonstrated in time. And it's been manifested in the fullness of time in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we have received Christ, as we come to the place of understanding that God has shown tremendous grace to us, which we could never deserve, how can we not be as Ruth and say, why would you show me such grace when I don't deserve this? I'm a stranger. I was a stranger. But notice, the one who was a stranger became the very bride of Boaz. And we who were strangers are espoused to be the very bride of Christ as it will one day eternally be revealed. Love demonstrated. Love demonstrated will result in there being an interest. Love demonstrated will result in there being an investment and protection and instruction. And love demonstrated will result in this provision that God makes for those on whom His love is set as it was with Boaz and Ruth. The parallels. Again, this is an actual narrative. I keep reminding you of that because I, don't to, I am not going to spiritualize the text, but we are going to draw from the text the parallels that we see of the Redeemer and, and also the one who's been redeemed. And an understanding, again, I think one of the greatest truths we find in these few verses is that very truth that the grace received by Ruth was not at all based on who she was. For she didn't deserve it. She was a stranger. It was based on the truth of the character of Boaz and that he was gracious. Let me remind you of something. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we all are aware of this. If you know the Lord, you know this. He is gracious. He is full of grace and full of mercy. Thank God for his love in Christ. To we who are undeserving as we are. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to...